With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another edition of The Deciding Point, where we break down everything happening each and every week in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, some of you listeners may be wondering, why do we have a third edition of this show for all of you this week? Well, it's because it's one of my favorite weekends on the college tennis calendar, certainly one of our most significant we have each and every season as starting on Friday we have the official beginning of the 2024 ITA Division One National Women's Team Indoor Championships of course we'll have coverage from first ball to last on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel of the event beginning Friday 9 a.m. Pacific time it will be myself Perry Shinen steering the ship all weekend long as 16 of the best college tennis teams in the country all descend upon Seattle for the right to be crowned national indoor champion. Of course, what we want to do on today's show for all of you college tennis fans is set the scene for this event. We finally have a draw to analyze on on today's show. That's precisely what we plan on doing. We want to break down all eight of the round of 16 battles for all of you college tennis fans. Talk about whether the balance is right in this year's national team indoor event draw and, of course, offer our predictions, our thoughts on how we think it all is going to shake out over the next four days. Of course, to do all of that within the course of one podcast, I certainly am going to need some help. And thankfully, joining me on tonight's pod for the last time, not in person here this week, is a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Racket Show's founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, a man whose smiling face I am looking forward to seeing in person tomorrow and throughout the course of these National Indoor Championships in Seattle. It's our dearest friend, John J. Parsons, joining us once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. National Indoors fever is just in the air, my friend. We're less than 48 hours away. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. It's so nice to hear that this is your favorite weekend because you get to see me is what I took away from that (laughs) intro. But now we have uh, two times a year we get to see each other. And so this will be our second consecutive Seattle date. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be very exciting. Well, why it's my favorite weekend, I'll explain. It's because I understand maybe the gravity of the National Indoor Championships in the mind of many college tennis fans doesn't weigh as heavily as the significance of the NCAA Team Outdoor Championships in May. But for me personally, these two weekends coming up, women's indoors, men's indoors, back-to-back, I enjoy these weekends more 
And the reason for that is we get the same quality of play, right? We get all these top 16 or top eight teams descending upon one location. They all have to go head to head with one another. The difference here in the National Indoors weekend is we get to play on. Like we get to learn something. And if you lose or if you don't have the weekend you're looking for, you still have that opportunity to respond. If you win, now you have the burden of expectations weighing on your shoulder and you have to carry those expectations over the course of the next few weeks and into the rest of the season. I just like that it's not as final, I suppose, as the NCAA championships is. We get to learn all these fantastic different things from these exceptional data points, Jay. And then we get to keep going in a way you just don't have at the NCAAs in May. So if I, I guess that would be my synopsis of why I prefer the indoor championships to the outdoor. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It's not where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, be, and almost a result of having that where it's not a lose and go home every day is a 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Right. It's just wall to wall action. I thought you were going to go there and I was going to take a dig at the NCAA tournament and say (laughs) we used to get that with NCAAs when we had the Sweet 16 there and they didn't do this dumb thing where they play all the matches at the same time. And it was just like you had your nine, 12, four and seven matches. Those were the glory years. But now they've you know, depleted the event. So yeah, you have a lot more tennis here uh, in this indoor event. Yeah, that is another good point to add on as well. The fact that you get eight matches the first three days and all of them matter, all of them some sort of significance, whether it's for a top eight race, a top 16 race, or hell, if you're still alive in the main draw, you are competing for a national championship. So yeah, it's three days of excellence. And then anytime an event drags into a championship Monday, and that's music into my ears because it means, again, we can focus and lock in and we've gotten to see all these. But again, by the time we reach a national indoor final, that's my favorite feeling as a broadcaster as well, because if you don't know the teams you're calling in front of you, you just haven't been paying attention all weekend long. And again, the opportunity to see those championship teams compete that fourth consecutive day pushed to that extra edge. It wasn't a fourth championship day, but I will continue to say the best match I have ever gotten to broadcast. My favorite moment in college tennis. Jay knows what I'm about to say. 2021 National Indoors. I'll never forget UNC versus Texas in Stillwater. I'll never forget going past 1 a.m. Never forget the Scotty comeback against Shavathapan on four. It's just, again, those sorts of moments that, again, teams experience here early in the season, and they get the opportunity to rebound from, to learn from, and push forward from uh, throughout the rest of the season. And so, again, that's why I love National Indoor Weekend. I imagine many of you listeners love it for many other reasons as well. And if you'd like to share those with us at JTweetsTennis, at AL Gruskin, at Crack Rackets, you know where to find us. That said, the reason you found us today, of course, because you want to hear our thoughts on the round of 16 at these 2024 ITA Division I National Women's Team Indoor Championships. So that is what we are going to do for all of you listeners here on today's show. We're going to break down again all eight round of 16 16 matches. I'm going to put a clock on us, Jay. No more than five minutes on any match. We'll break down the things we are looking for most from each team. Ultimately, Jay going to be the one offering predictions as I get to cop out of those, given I will be broadcasting each of the matches. Don't want the fan bases to get any more angry with me than sometimes they already do. But before we can preview any of that, Jay, we got to talk about the draw itself. And we got to look, obviously, given the fact that it's still 
early in the season. We don't have the largest sample size of matches to go off of. We certainly have some to base these rankings on. But again, these are hand-picked top eight seeds by the coaches committee coming into this ITA National Team Indoor Championships. Jay, maybe not exactly by the coaches committee, but the point is it is not a formula to determine these top eight. And ultimately, our top eight seeds, Jay, were as followed. Number one, UNC in their quarter. Number eight, NC State. On that same side of the draw, you have fourth-seeded Michigan and fifth-seeded Pepperdine. On the other side of the draw, your number two seed, Stanford. Number three seed, Oklahoma State. Sixth seed is Texas, following their win over seventh-seeded Georgia this past weekend. Now, it is worth reminding all of you, we don't seed one through 16 on the women's side of things. We just seed one through eight. The rest, I believe, is random placement in the draw. Thus, it's not the straight UNC, perhaps Washington first round matchup that you might have expected. The first round matchups are as followed. UNC going to face USC in their first round match. NC State going to be facing Washington. Pepperdine facing Virginia. Cal facing Michigan. Love those matches across the board. Obviously, that's your left side of the draw. Right side, Oklahoma State versus Auburn. Sign me up today. Texas A&M in Georgia, Ohio State in Stanford, Florida. Two teams that don't play a lot of indoor tennis in on that first round matchup. Jay, certainly surface level again. A lot of fun names, as we knew they would be. You really could have thrown the dart at the dartboard, and every first round match was going to be fun. But more broadly, what do you think about the draw seeding? What do you think about the balance we see in the matchups we have here at these indoor championships? Yeah, so a few things. It's not completely random, the 9 through 16. They Mm -hmm. do avoid conference first-round matchups as well as any repeat matches. So if you've already played someone, they will try and avoid that. It's why when you start placing them, why doesn't Washington go play, uh, play North Carolina? Well, there's dominoes that have to to fall as well. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why. So for um, instance, just for an example, A&M has already played Stanford. So that wasn't going to happen as another first round match as we saw that already. Similarly, you look at a seeded team like a Georgia. Georgia can't play a Texas A&M either because that's an SEC matchup. So they're going to avoid that one. NC State, North Carolina, they, they can't face an unseeded Virginia. Uh, just to elaborate on your points, Jay, I appreciate you clarifying that because that is an important thing to note. Yeah. So that's it. that's first round matches. And so <clears throat> I think overall, when I first saw the draw, I felt that it was pretty balanced. Like yeah. I remember I last year we got a North Carolina Pepperdine matchup first round. And I think we all thought Pepperdine was should have been seated and they missed out on seated. And it was like, oh, this feels like a bummer. And maybe there were certain pockets of the draw that felt stronger than others. Of course, anytime you have a North Carolina in an indoor draw, that side of the draw might feel a little weaker relative to North Carolina. And certainly I feel like this bottom half has a lot of potential contenders. But overall, I think this is a very balanced draw. I think there are really great first round matchups in all sorts of pockets of this draw. That was my initial reaction. So I couldn't agree with you more. And in the sense that that was my initial reaction as well. Like, I looked at all these matchups, and we kind of knew that going in, just given the depth we have in women's college tennis this year, the fact that, again, dartboard method would have worked. Any of these matches would have been intriguing. All of these teams feel fairly balanced thus far. 
I will say the fact that Washington, USC both ended up in that UNC quarter specifically, like to that sense, it does feel like the first round matchups on the right side of the draw. They're a little bit more, you know, again, it's probably the better day on day one, I guess, is at the Seattle Tennis Club rather than the Nordstrom Tennis Center is what I'm trying to say. I do think there's more appeal in like every single match is a banger at the Seattle Tennis Club, Oklahoma State, Auburn, Texas A&M, Texas, Georgia, Ohio State, like maybe Florida Stanford's not a banger, but that's only if you're giving Stanford the benefit of the doubt. And I think they have to earn that indoors, or at least this group in particular, because we haven't seen it yet. Um, but yeah, like I, I think after that, though, once you get to the quarterfinals onward, everything feels very balanced. Like Every selection feels right in terms of who the top eight seeds are and how they got dispersed. I have no issues with any of the matchups. Personally, I might have flipped Georgia and, Ohio, uh, Georgia and Texas and Pepperdine and NC State for seeding purposes just because Georgia's not going to play Oklahoma State in conference play. Texas isn't, you know, or again, like uh, NC State's, or Pepperdine's not going to play North Carolina, excuse me, in conference play. Like, that would have just been fun for fan purposes because some of these matchups might get recycled later on in the year. But more broadly, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's very balanced from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, I think one of the hard parts, though, particularly this year and also with conference saturation going to become a very real thing, is that when you avoid these first-round matchups, basically when you look at these draws, no one in one half of the draw will play anyone in the other half of the draw the entire weekend. And so what ends up happening is right now you have essentially the entire ACC on the top half of the draw. You have North Carolina, NC State, and Virginia. And then on the bottom half of the draw, you have the entire SEC, Florida, Georgia, Texas A&M, Auburn. What's going to happen is that while none of them are playing each other first round, they're in those second and third matches, we're going to get a lot of repeat matches. And so... The reality is, though, it's really hard to avoid that. Same thing with the Pac-12. Like You have four teams there, and on the West Coast, you have Cal, Pepperdine, Washington, USC, all in the top half of the draw. You're going to get second and third round matchups between teams that will play each other. It's better than doing it first round. And so overall, there are definitely pockets of saturation. I'd much rather prefer, I'd much rather have what I feel like is a balanced first round matchup everyone getting their shot at different teams. Yes, we're going to get duplication. That's going to happen when you have just very strong mega conferences. So overall, very happy with it. I do have some thoughts on seeding. Mm, please. I feel like Ohio State definitely got snubbed. 100%. They're the ones who come out of this wondering, how do we not have a number by our name? Like, what else do we have to do? Yeah, and so there was not a lot of changes that went into the rankings last week versus the seedings this week. The big input into that was that Texas beat Georgia. And so what ended up happening is that Texas made the big jump all the way up to six. Georgia got bumped below both Texas and Pepperdine. And then NC State, which was already ahead of Ohio State in last week's rankings, stayed ahead of them. Now, on merit of resume, I think Ohio State absolutely deserves that number eight seed over NC State. I think the quality of wins of Oklahoma, Duke, UCLA, particularly a Duke-UCLA 4-0 sweep, is much better than the, the resume quality for NC State right now, particularly after they almost lost to Tennessee, a Tennessee who didn't even make it out of their own home kickoff region. So Ohio State was definitely the seeding snub. 
Georgia's a seed by reputation, and it's a reputation we both think they deserve. I mean, again, it's a lot of pieces, a lot of talent on that roster that is impressive. That certainly we expected at the start of the season to have success come May, but they haven't had that success yet. Ohio State has had results in a tangible way that I agree. Like, if you're Coach Schaub, if you're the Buckeyes, you feel a little bit slighted. At the same time, Jay, they didn't draw Stanford. They didn't draw Oklahoma State. They didn't draw UNC. They draw a Georgia team who, yeah, is the number seven seed, but like you could flip the seeds and the matchup still feels right to me. Like, I guess that's why I don't feel particularly aggrieved, if that makes sense, Jay, because like, okay, what? Should they have been maybe the five instead of Pepperdine versus Virginia? Like, is that that different of a matchup than Georgia? Maybe, but I, I guess where they ended up falling is why I think you don't feel particularly aggrieved just because you're playing the seventh seed of eight seeds. Like, that's about as good as you can ask for. Yeah, but I think it's tough when you have sure. essentially a few teams getting in. On no, you're right. Above you're it. right. Pepperdine? Sure. Their 4-2 loss, I guess, was more impressive than Ohio more State's impressive. 4-1. <laughs> yeah, for Ohio State beating Oklahoma, uh, Duke, and UCLA. Like, it, yeah. So that part, you definitely feel snubbed. At the same the other- time... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to move on from Ohio State. No, me too. I was going to say, if they didn't give us at least that, then we'd have nothing to be aggrieved about. So at least we have one thing, Jay. What's the other? I have a few more things. So oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't we get this same little quarter of like Michigan, last Virginia, year? Pepperdine, yes. like the exact quarter it's, last year? You haven't read it because it's buried deep. It's bylaw 302.B that Michigan and Virginia have to be in the same quarter of every national event. Mm. It's just, it was passed post COVID. It was a uh, like big schools with good academics bylaw. Mm. And I, I guess you must've missed that. Like Cal obviously. And there's, I don't know what Pepperdine's doing in there, but I mean, it makes sense, right? It was the Jay Gruskin bylaw. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're just like, look, put their schools together and just one of them has to lose. So that is the that's I mean, I'm not really aggrieved by that. I was just like, oh, like this is very similar to what we got last year. Uh, the other thing is I do not love the sites to be announced for the quarterfinal matchups. And I know that this is because Washington is the host. If they win, regardless of where they play, they're going to be at Nordstrom Tennis Center. I don't think that should be the case. I think the free wild card into indoors should be enough. They should play at Seattle Tennis Club if they're in the Constellation. These two facilities are completely opposite in terms of fan experience. I don't think it's right to play these quarterfinals at the Seattle Tennis Club. As nice as the facility is, it's not made for college tennis. I agree with you in spirit. I disagree with you in practicality. These teams are paying for these events. And if they want to play at home, like you're not going to pay to play anywhere but your home. Like I, I like I completely understand the spirit and the ethos of the rule. I also completely understand your point, Jay. Like, let's bring all the main draw matches to the final site. That's where it's going to be. And you know, again, but there's a, I I, compl- I understand why, yeah. but also like you're paying for these three matches that you're getting. You're paying for the publicity and the visibility, the recruiting cachet. Like, there's other benefits of this, but yeah, I get it. No, it, it's it's a fascinating thing and. 
Again, this is why my favorite site is the Nielsen Tennis Center uh, Stadium in Wisconsin because we got 12 courts all in one location. The only difference that happens when Wisconsin plays is they play on the north end of the building instead of the south end of the building. And so, um, yeah, again, it's both the burden and the blessing of a two-site national indoors. We get to use a couple of really cool facilities, but of course, again, one of those national indoor quarterfinals not going to be at the home site for our host school in this instance, Washington and the Nordstrom Tennis Center. That said, that's your draw, folks. Folks, those are our reactions. Let's start talking about some of these battles, Jay. And we're going to stick in terms of ordering our previews within the quarters of the draw. Now, we're not going to go chronologically. We're just going to go by my favorite quarters, Jay. And I think the most intriguing quarter of this draw is pretty damn clear. It's the Oklahoma State quarter. I love that top right of the draw as much as I have loved any draw I've seen entering a national indoor championship, Jay. And let's start with third-seeded Oklahoma State. It's another test for the Cowgirls as they're going to take on an Auburn Tigers team that, you know, doesn't have the most dramatic resume to date here in 2024. But as a nucleus, it's as tested as a group as we have at these national indoors. Ansari, Arsenault, Flack, This is what, their third straight, I believe? Fourth straight, maybe? I think third national indoor championships because we've seen them third or fourth. I saw them in Madison. I just don't remember what year that was. Uh, Certainly, we saw them last year here in Seattle. Now, this year again as well. Here's the point. Scroop's been around this stage for a couple of years now. And obviously... They've had some things go on on campus. Head coach Caroline Lilly, assistant coach Megan Falcon, dismissed from the team. They still went to Duke without those two and got a victory in Durham over a Blue Devil squad that, by the way, got a really good win for over UCLA last week. And now, even with that win, Auburn's resume, nowhere near what this Oklahoma State squad has accomplished this season. They've gotten a win over UCLA. They've beaten Michigan. They've beaten Michigan, uh, excuse me, they've beaten Ohio State. And obviously last week they beat Pepperdine now as well. But these are two really talented rosters. Jay, let's start with the Cowgirls first. What does a Cowgirls victory look like in your mind? Well, first of all, we forgot them in the seeding snub, but I would come in with a chip on my shoulder if I'm Oklahoma State. I mean, not being elevated to two, I think, is a little bit of a snub. uh, After I mean, Stanford hasn't done anything other than beat Texas A&M, and that win continues to depreciate. So I think they'll ride in on that private jet a little bit with a chip on their shoulder. And um, what does an Oklahoma State win look like? I mean, it starts with doubles. I think that... You know, they have lost some doubles points and they probably want to ensure that they're starting out on the right foot. They can get wins anywhere. Uh, I mean, certainly Komar has looked very strong at that number one position. You like to see some of the momentum that Christina Novak down at six demonstrated in her win against Pepperdine. You're still looking for Miyamoto to start being the rock that she's been consistently for them in that four through six spots. So there's not a spot they can't win in against Auburn, which is what makes them really tough matchup for this Auburn team, actually. I think that's the scariest part for Auburn is their depth is their calling card and Oklahoma State is just deeper and more talented than this Auburn squad. All due respect to a Flack at six or an Okato, whomever it is they're playing at six if you're Auburn. Christina Novak was playing one and two for this Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State squad last year. You know, Miyamoto 
has won futures. She dropped like three matches last year. She's better than she was then. She's back at that number five spot. The scariest part, Jay, about this Oklahoma State squad is they're doing all this winning right now, and Obi Kajuru is not playing well. Like, she's not playing bad, but losses to Fliegner, losses to Brodus. Like, this is a player who didn't take losses like that very frequently last year. And I don't know, like... I guess I guess I still wonder if this Oklahoma State has played the best version. Have we seen the best version of this team yet? Like that's what I'm wondering. Jay, is is there another gear for Oklahoma State to get to in a match like this, where you know, again, all due respect to whomever's at the top two spots for Auburn, but where it's just I'm Comar. sorry, Nurse, no. Uh, yeah, we're just. Uh, I meant what order they play them in, because there's been a little oh. bit of playing around always, but like. There's a world where Komar and Obi just come out and they two and two each of those matches at the top two spots. And we haven't seen that version of Oklahoma State yet. Yeah, again, the win looks like they're they're just better than Auburn everywhere at top, better depth, better doubles. And they've proven that so far this season. You're making a face at me that you disagree. Well, I don't know if it's that equivalent I mean, let's start with the auburn stuff because i think it's more interesting yeah. to start first with the underdog yeah. and in this case it's clearly auburn and we've talked a lot about obi kajuru's strength but like i feel like you've created this like mythical never loses <laughs> like stature like she throws in stinkers and she did that last season you're just like whoa i did not expect her to lose that match and whether it's losing in ncaa's uh, I think in the Sweet 16 last year, like there are just stinkers. Now she was rock solid at indoors for a stretch, mm-hmm. but like she's not undefeated in these matches. And I don't think, I think that's a winnable match for a lot of teams at two, actually. But I actually think where I think Auburn is very strong is at three and four. Yeah. I think DJ Bennett and Angie Okatoyi at three and four are some of the stronger positions across the country. And I actually think that's where there's potential softness for Oklahoma State. Sophia Carrington has played some really topsy-turvy matches. She hasn't even got gotten wins or losses in a lot of these matches. She's kind of DNF'd, but she's definitely one that they'll circle that uh, Auburn think they can win. The biggest question for Auburn is that they did not have Celine Ovunk in the lineup this past weekend. If she is not in the lineup, all of a sudden we're going, you know... Uh, players that aren't typically at five and six and that's where oklahoma state will start clearing up but assuming full strength for auburn it'll be at three four and five it'll be bennett okatoy and ovunk that they need to to get singles wins i would say two four and five we're going to be the spots and maybe even two three and four just i think ob again it the, at least right now, is an attackable spot in the lineup. I think. Arsenal, Ariana Arsenal, if she plays two, has looked very good. Especially indoors, like those weapons. Exactly. That, that's a yeah. fun matchup there for yeah. Auburn. I couldn't agree with you more. I think four is a must-have for Auburn. Must. Like it, It's no disrespect to Sophia Carrington, who, by the way, isn't losing matches. She's just in third sets of matches. Like That's one that Auburn, you got to take advantage of. They Auburn comes out with sneaky energy, man. Like they will be ready for this national indoors in a way. This Oklahoma State group again, they haven't played at the national indoor championships, Oklahoma State, in quite some time. Now individual pieces might have, but again, Obi's been here. The other five haven't. Yeah, and I was so, gonna say even the other individual pieces like Komar hasn't, Carrington yeah. hasn't. Like 
LSU so was not here. You're right. That's probably where we should have started on the underdog side. Is that that's the that's where it begins? Is Auburn comes out with the right sort of energy, that right sort of thorn in your side that they can always be, and now all of a sudden they're up one zero, and now all of a sudden Arsenal takes a first set. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Okatoye takes a first set over Carrington. The problem is again. Oklahoma State has proven they have depth to beat you with four singles matches. They can beat you, you know, again, three straight set wins and a doubles point. They can respond, and they've seen just about everything already. I got to see this Auburn crew earn a signature victory like this before I believe it, but this is going to be a really good match, Jay. You got a prediction for me? Final score? Who clinches? Oklahoma State for one. No comment, but... If you if there was a video version of this podcast, you might see a comment, but no comment. That feels again. There's a reason we have you on to come do predictions. We'll leave that there. That's matchup number one. We're not going to spend that much uh, that long on every matchup because, again, in my opinion, that's one of our more intriguing first round matchups. But maybe it's the second most intriguing match in the quarter, Jay. Again, this is where I wanted to start on this top right sector because the second most intriguing match in the quarter, and there's two. Oh, that's what I'm saying, because <laughs> Texas versus a and is that good. Like, it's, it's, it, it, Oklahoma State versus Auburn might be the second most intriguing match in the draw, and it's second most intriguing in its quarter, because... There you go. What do we do? Yeah, that's what I have to say to you, Jay. It's a long day of travel, right? Cut me some slack. We're recording through it. Um, what do we do with the Aggies? Because a year ago in Seattle, Jay, they looked like the second best team in the country, and the margin between them and North Carolina was not very big. And now, obviously, a lot of different pieces on this Texas A&M roster right now. But losses to UCLA, Stanford, Miami. It's been a weird start for the Aggies. A start they haven't had in since pre-COVID, I think it's safe to say. Like, they haven't had... Texas A&M didn't lose to UCLA. Did I say UCLA? I meant yeah. San Diego, is what I meant to say. It's It's a West Coast school. Again... Jay, it's been a travel day for me. You gotta, you gotta cut me some slack. But, but their opponent here, Texas, did lose to UCLA, so I completely understand. Yeah. See, that's twice in one section. Anyways, we're gonna leave all that in to say I love this match because certainly you had similar doubts about Texas coming into this week, and then they beat you know four three Georgia, and now all of a sudden it's wait a second, maybe this team does have the depth, maybe this team doesn't need the Nicoles, maybe they're gonna be just fine moving forward. I guess by virtue of they haven't had a good win yet this year, A&M's the underdog, Jay, so let's start there. What's the case for the Aggies? What's a win look like? Well, another interesting element of this is you have Nicole Kieran, who transferred from Texas to A&M, who will be playing in this match. Always a, uh, a interesting transition. So, look, I on the A&M side, you expect Mary Stoyana to be great. You expect Mary uh, Nicole Kieran to be good, and you expect Mia Cooper's to be good. Now, everything else after that is a big question mark. Luciana Perez indoors is a big question mark. Not losing a, uh, not winning a set against Miami at five and six is a big question mark. Doubles has looked extremely shaky for them this entire season. Now, there are a lot of pieces on this team who were part of that team last year who made that run, same courts, same facility. And so you're looking for them to find some of that belief. And I think this A&M squad historically has always played very well as an underdog and having something to prove. Now, they certainly haven't played well at indoors, uh, but 
I think they like that position and they're certainly going to be an underdog here and we'll see how they embrace it. Yeah. I, I mean, look again, the talent is there and to your point, Perez has looked really good to start the year at the number four spot. I think the freshman is a real piece. Uh, like I think she will be that contributor that we thought she might be to start this year. The craziest part, I guess, if you're an A&M fan, is like, Stoyana's taking a couple of losses early in the year. Like I, I mean, again, it's a three-set loss to Alexa Noel, so it's by no stretch of the imagination a bad loss. Like That's what I want to be clear, but I mean, I don't like... I think we thought this team was going to be much more Stoyana dependent to start the year than, I mean, maybe they have needed. Well, they are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She doesn't play San Diego. They lose. She loses against Miami. They lose. So all that is to say is I think through the first few matches, we've seen that borne out true is what I'm trying to say is that this team needs Mary Stoyana to be the number one player in the country. And Look again, Morales has struggled at six. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Like she need they they're looking for the option right now at six spot. Even Smetanikov hasn't been great at number five right now. This team is very we need to win the top four singles matches centric right now, Jay. Like their pathway just feels so narrow here early in the season. And that's the scary part when you're taking on a Texas team that can beat you anywhere, that they have that sort of depth, that they have more experience than you across their lineup as well. And it just does feel like so far early in the season, A&M's pathways to victory have been so restricted to that top four, Jay. Especially because you've thrown doubles out the window. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> like they're Which not winning. has not been the case for this team the last two No, years. and that is what we reflect back on in that match yeah. with North Carolina. They came exactly. out firing in doubles, mm-hmm. and that's what really made that announcement uh, last season. So we'll see. I think on the Texas side, that Georgia win is really positive for them. Zayna Lova looks like she's going to hang with anyone at number one. And you feel like that depth is very real, whether it's Pachkaleva, whether it's Avrutsky hanging tough down at six. So they have a lot of different options. And I think any team facing A&M in this indoors will circle five and six. Uh, try and get you know doubles five and six and find one more. Yeah, I think on the flip side for Texas, their pathway is any points. But in particular, they feel like they can beat anyone three through six. And those three through five spots thus far with Rapalu playing as well as she has and carrying her level from the fall. And, you know, again, Shavat back at four. You're just like, well, we've seen what this means for Texas. When she's at four, they're usually winning national championships, obviously. Um to have and no one beats like, Dana Lova yeah. uh, quickly, so she'll stay out there as these other players do work. And to have someone as experienced as Pashkaleva at five, or again, Uvrutsky losing to Narundorn in straights was to me the most surprising part of that Georgia result because Vivian Uvrutsky is like your prototypical six singles player, just working you to the outer thirds and again, getting her court time in as well, Jay. This Texas team is really solid everywhere. And again, given the losses Rivkin, Kieran, they had so uh, impact them, dare I say, later in the year. than I guess Kieran transferred pretty early, but the Rivkin loss was a late loss for this roster here this season. It's a fascinating battle, Jay. Who you got? Which way you leaning? I think you have to lean Texas right now uh, with the momentum. They look solid in every position. They looked good in doubles. They look good one through six against Georgia. Yes, that match was at home, but you just have a lot less questions about this Texas 
team. And I think there are a lot of questions about AM. I think doubles is going to be really tough for them to find a point at in Seattle at all. And that leans Texas. And then you certainly start to think that four, five, and six will lean Texas as well. It's very helpful. They have Shavathpan there playing Luciana Perez at four. That will probably be some good experience. So I lean Texas, but I lean four, two. That match has 4-3 written all over. This feels like a winner-go-home sort of match for Texas A&M. I don't know how they see a pathway back to the top eight, Jay, without a big weekend here at the indoors. And so like, well, I feel like there's some urgency. Well, and this is a very tough bottom half. There are yeah. no gimmies in this no bottom layups half. at all. With one exception that we might get to that I think might might be a layup. Uh, but- Does it rhyme with Shorta? Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you say that correctly, it's yes. Shorta rhymes with Shorta. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe they win their third match, but I don't think the loser. I don't think if A and M loses this first round, I don't think they beat the the loser of um, Oklahoma State Auburn again, That's unless right. Auburn doesn't have Ovunk. I mean, things could get funky for sure, but in general, we'll see. I just think there's some urgency for AM, and you're right. The draw did them no favors. This is a team that needs at least one victory here this weekend. And if they walk out, because you're right, there is a world where they're one of our two 0 3 teams. And if I would have told you that a month and a half ago, Jay, to start the season, I think we both would have laughed. It'd be like, Alex, stop it. This is one of your dumb predictions. And they'll leave indoors ranked like 50. Yeah, that's like. Not good, uh, to say the least. Now, obviously, again, it's a loaded SEC. There's plenty of time. I, no one's betting against them being top 16. But there's some serious top eight urgency right now uh, for Texas A&M. That's why I think that match goes 4-3. I'm just not sure which way it's going to lean yet. But, again, that's your top right quarter of the draw for me, the most intriguing section we have. We'll go, uh, again, a little bit quicker now as we get through less intriguing matches. But this one belongs right up there, Jay. We're going to stick on that right half of the draw. We're going to go bottom right now. Look, again, we've already established this. You could switch the seeding. It could be number seven, Ohio State versus unseeded Georgia. Obviously, it is number seven, Georgia versus unseeded Ohio State. But, Jay, again, I'd say start with the underdog here. Is Georgia the underdog? Is that where we have to start this conversation, Jay? What is your initial inclination as you look at this match? I mean, I won't bury the lead. I think Ohio State wins this match. And we saw these two teams play against each other in the Miami Invitational. It's not an official dual match, but we did see a lot of similar matchups. And we saw Vidmanova take out Luciana Perry. We saw Ratliff and uh, Mel Riasco go toe-to-toe, 6-4 in the third. We saw Lopata lose to Taya Chavez. The big question for me is I will hinge my prediction on whether or not Taya Chavez is healthy. Uh, We didn't see her in their second match this past weekend. If she is in this lineup, Ohio State wins this match. And I think the Ohio State match calculus that they should feel really good about is doubles. Number one, Irina Contos. This will be Alexandra Vekic's first, you know, big performance. Contos looked fantastic against Duke and UCLA. I like Sydney Ratliff if she's playing three over Mel Riasco. But you have to lean... Taya Chavez against Lopata, even though Lopata's looked good, she beat her there. Uh, there, and then Berezniak at five over Gigi, who hasn't looked that solid. Like the match calculus is absolutely there for Ohio State. So again, assuming full health, that's my contingency. I think Ohio State's the favorite. 
Ohio State's been better in doubles. There's no doubt about that. And again, it's still so early in the season, but I'm also not sure we're going to see Vecic at one. Like, are we sure we don't see Vidmanova at that number one spot? I don't think it would be unjustified for those two to be swapped, Jay. And, you know, again, oh, a Contos versus Vidmanova matchup at one. Sign me up for that. And I do think that's actually, I think that's a better matchup if I'm Georgia. Like, I think that's, yeah. yeah, And I also think Vidmanova's playing a little bit better to start the season. So it wouldn't shock me if we see that switch there. But you're absolutely right, Jay. Like, Ohio State's just straight up been better to start this season. And and these freshmen are playing so well. I mean, the weapons of Taya Chavez, I've said it before, she is a young Amelia Rejecki. Like, I just see the weapons, the explosiveness, the, look, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I might be missing right now, but give me a year or two, and we're going to figure this out. And indoors, again, that willingness to swing freely, boy, is this Buckeyes team dangerous. At the same time, though, Jay, They've got three freshmen in their starting lineup, and Georgia made the finals of this event in Seattle last year. And by the way, Vidmanova, Riasco, Narundorn, Grant, Lapata, those are all pieces from the team that did that last season. This match has 4-3 screaming all over it, Jay, and I'm just curious because I know we talked about it from the Ohio State side of things. What does the Georgia win look like? Well, I think... I don't think they need doubles. Uh, Never with the talent they have. It helps, right? (laughs) But I do think they should feel like they can get wins at one and two. Particularly, I like what you said. I mean, yes, they would love having Vibinova at two because she rolled Perry when they played earlier. But they feel confident that they can win at one and two against pretty much all teams. The Lopata has looked very good to start the season. The problem is that I would say six. I would say they would circle six. Minor Rundorn has looked better than Gigi, I think. And that's also another freshman. Assuming full health, Ohio State would have Spencer out there at six. So I think that's the calculus. I think one, two, four, and six would be what Georgia is looking for. But again, three, Mel Riasco beat Sidney Ratliff. Again, if that's the matchup, so they can get three. There's not a match they can't get in this match. I just feel like... But Ohio State really laid an egg last year. So I'm like very trepidatious in making this prediction. But I do lean Ohio State 4-3. There's also the Mert wild card. What if they play the freshman? Georgia hasn't played her yet. It's been a lot of like the Georgia singles lineup is as fascinating. It's maybe the biggest unknown we have of all of these teams because, yeah, they've played the veterans thus far. But Again, Mert had a pretty good fall, like, and we haven't seen her at all thus far, Jay. And what do they do at the top? I mean, unknowns in the sense that they got a lot of permutations they might whip out uh, for this National Indoor Championship. And so I also, on the flip side, this feels like Ohio State has to have this one, right? Like this is the fifth year with Arena Contos. It's the final go round. If there's ever going to be like a, a signature run for this Contos group, it feels like this is the indoors where things are lining up for them to do so, right? Like I, I feel like the urgency meter is a little higher for Ohio State, if that makes sense, as I ask you for your prediction. Well, I gave my prediction, Ohio yeah, State yeah. 4-3. As I give you one more chance to bail out, I wanted to <laughs> No, uh, I'm not bailing out. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe there's an urgency for us for this yeah, Ohio State team because it does feel like they play so well in January and February, and then it doesn't always carry or ever carry over into indoors. I don't know if they feel that. I mean, how can you with three freshmen that have never been here before? So 
I don't know if they feel that way, but it would certainly go a very long way. They beat Georgia last season at home before indoors. So it'll be interesting, but I lean Ohio state, uh, but I hope I don't get burned by that one. Do you remember 2022 in Madison when Ohio state played like the four, three match versus Auburn, then the four, three match versus mm. Florida, then the four, three match. It, that's what I'm saying is it's like, yeah. we've had that for a couple of years now. I want to see them get the 4-3 main draw victory. I want to see them right. again because this group has been knocking on the door for it for so long. And yes, they've got four freshmen in the lineup this year. But Berizniak and Ratliff and Contos, like, it's the same thread. It's the same, uh, dare I say, through line of the, that Ohio State court team. No Boulay anymore. Uh, yeah, it's no. it's basically Contos. I mean, it's a very different Ohio State team. Yeah, Sydney Ratliff, like, she's a junior. She's yeah. not like... This Brisniak Jr., season. true. Yeah, but Brisniak, we had that one season where she yeah, never she, played. You're right. Like, it's, it's the, really it's a the Contos, Contos thing. team. It's yeah. an urgency for Contos. Yeah. It's like it's got to be now for her versus this Georgia team that can kind of soak it all in, I guess, for a little bit longer. Still, Jay's taking Ohio State. That would be an upset as Georgia, again, the seventh seed. But certainly, given what we've seen for the Buckeyes already this year, I don't know how surprising that would be. Other match in this quarter, Jay. Again, two teams that you should just skip this event. Now, it's a new era, and so it's fascinating. Ten years ago, if I told you Stanford, Florida, round one of the national indoors, you'd be like, is there a global pandemic about to break out? Like, what are we about to do here? But uh, instead, again, Stanford, your number two seeds undefeated thus far to date. Uh, they take on a Florida team that just picked up their first loss of the season. Florida dropping a tough one for one in Ann Arbor yesterday, Jay. Let's start on the Gator side of things. Again, it feels like we haven't seen them fully healthy yet. To start this season, certainly that's one of our big uh, question marks entering this national indoors. But we know they have depth. We know they have experience. Do they got a shot in this one? What's it look like? I would roll back a few of those things because, yes, we saw them fully healthy, but there were two big questions. One, uh, Alicia Dudney did not play a match since May uh, throughout the entire fall. So she clearly, yes, she is playing. She clearly is not fully back to where she so has I think, been. So I past. wouldn't par- so thus though Hold we on, haven't I, seen them I'm, fully healthy yet. I'm getting there. But when <laughs> then we also saw Sarah Dahlstrom in, in the lineups. So like we saw the bodies in on the court. But Sarah Dahlstrom rolls her ankle at kickoff weekend. She hasn't played since. I'm not sure how serious that injury is, but that's a massive blow to this Florida team that had depth mm-hmm. six deep. And I feel pretty strongly about that. I mentioned that when we did the Florida pod, and I think that's showing itself. Now having to pull Dahlstrom from the lineup, you have a lot of volatility happening there with either Kavia Lopez blowing leads against FSU, other players down at the bottom of the lineup blowing leads against Michigan, Dudney losing 0-0 to Gala, which might be the first time Gala's ever won a match 0-0. There's a lot of question marks heading in to indoors for Florida. I think without Dahlstrom, it's going to be very tough for this Florida team to get a win. Yeah, I stand by my description. I feel no regrets after your pushback. Um, I just, I wonder for the Stanford team who last year came to this national indoors event and it was just an abject disaster. Like nothing broke right for the Cardinals. Is that fair? Fair, oh, fair oh, say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was rough for Stanford at this event last year. Does that taste sit in their mouths? Like, do they come to this with a little bit more urgency? Because, Jay, we saw them practice, like, at the National Indoors last year. And 
this is, might be reading too far into things, but like they even looked flat in practice last year. Like you could just tell there was no buzz around that Stanford squad. The way there should be this year, when they have a talent as talented of a roster one through seven as you have had on the farm or at the tree, is that what it's called, right? On the farm, right? That's yeah, what the yeah, that's yeah. what the kids call it. Yeah. Uh, as you have had as much talent on the farm as you had had in half a decade since that 2019 national championship winning team, I would argue this team probably pound for pound more talented than that group. I want to see them come out and kick some. Like, I want to see Stanford come out and win a match 4-0. I have never had that experience, Jay. And look, I've been calling National Indoors since 2020. Obviously, this run of me calling these matches in uh, in person has overlapped with, dare I say, the toughest four-year stretch in Coach Farood's coaching history of the Stanford women's team. But I want to see them come out here with some urgency, Jay. Given all the uncertainties around surrounding Florida, this is an opportunity for Stanford to send a little message to the rest of the field of, no, 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 doubles and three straight set victories. We ain't here to mess around. I am more interested in seeing if Stanford hits that ceiling in this match than I suppose how Florida continues to fight because to the points we've made, like I just don't know what Florida looks like yet because no, they just haven't had that chance to find any sort of rhythm. Well, first off, it sounds like we know why Coach Farood is a tough get on the pod. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Be, you seem no to one, be the kryptonite. Let, uh, let, let, let the record also show, though, no one values the fact that they haven't had a class not win a national championship since 95-96 more than me. Like, that is my favorite stat in all of sports right now. And, yeah, Coach Farood, come on the pod. Carry on. But I couldn't. I could not agree more. Yeah. I, this Stanford squad is n- does not have that energy or tenacity that you would be looking for. And I think if they want to reestablish themselves as a team to be feared, you need to see that out of the gates at indoors because that luster has certainly worn off in the Gruskin era. Yeah. And if they want to reestablish that, it starts – they started having that at – in Orlando, when they first knocked off Texas A&M, a 4-0 win, it was like, whoa, okay, maybe this is really happening. They need to continue that. They need to come out with that intensity, that fire they did not have last year. And this is should be a layup match for them. Do you think Stanford's a Coley Allen away? Like, if you put Coley Allen on Stanford's squad and just gave him that boost of adrenaline and energy— I feel like her value above wins above replacement would be monumental for this team who just needs a little wild card, a little bit of an edge, because I know Blokina can be a wild card and have a little bit of an edge, but it's not in the uh, sum is greater than the whole of its parts sort of ethos in in the way team energy can be, if that makes sense, right? Like it's it's energy not directed at her teammates. It's energy she needs to propel herself forward, if yeah. that makes sense. Um like, I just want to see what the medal of this Stanford group. I want to see them get punched in the face and if they punch back. Because you mentioned it, like, Florida will linger. Florida will make you put them away. They're not going to put you away, but they will just stick around and say, all right, what you know, they're going to dip their feet into the their toes into the water and say, what you got for us today, Stanford? I'm fascinated to see what the Cardinal do indeed bring. Jay, what's your prediction for this score? I think it's I, I think it's 4-0. All right, 4-0 Cardinal. He thinks we're going to get the performance I have yet to see again. Yeah, it is clearly me. That's what we're starting to learn here, Jay. But as we know, 
Galileo was wrong. It ain't the sun this universe revolves around. We know whom it revolves around. Next up, bottom left corner of the draw, Jay. Let's start with fifth-seeded Pepperdine versus unseeded Virginia. Two teams we don't know a lot about to this point of the season. I think it's fair to say. Now, we learned uh, that this Pepperdine team is going to be a tough out, certainly in their showing 4-2 loss to Oklahoma State. They probably should have lost that match 4-0, just found a way to linger and stay alive and, again, put Oklahoma State under some pressure in Stillwater. On the other side of things, Virginia did the exact same thing to fourth-seeded Michigan last weekend, had an opportunity. Yes, it was you know 3-0 or 3-1 overall or 2-1 on the scoreboard, but, you know, shake and Fliegner are in a second set and you know again Subash and uh, whomever was playing six all these positions are lingering and it feels like okay here comes the Virginia push now ultimately neither Pepperdine nor Virginia were able to get those signature wins on the road Jay but they showed us they got real talent across the board and you know again the pedigree of the Pepperdine top three Czar, Brodus, Chen that's the single greatest trait single most a single strongest feature of either of these teams' rosters. It's the things we know best, certainly, as college tennis fans. That said, again, talk about a contrast in styles. Pepperdine going to pride itself on that top three. They're going to beat you at one. They're going to beat you at two. They're going to beat you at three. They're going to find one more. Kind of reminds me, Jay, of that 2019 UCLA men's team, that Cressy, Keegan Smith, Govan, Nando, and then Smith and Cressy, like Chen and Brodus, were up at one double. So we're actually three and a half points up on you. We just got to find a half point more. That's this Pepperdine team. On the other side, it's a Virginia team that, again, is a match calculus conundrum in the sense that you could find one here, you could find one there. Where are they best at right now? We still don't know. We'll say Virginia is the underdog for the sake of this, Jay. What's the pathway for them to victory? What do you want to see from the who's? Well, I think you outlined why it's such a compelling match because every so often I like to remind everyone why I'm here. There you go. Because the strengths <laughs> differ. And I also think Virginia has a really sneaky good doubles point. I think Melody Collard has some of the best hands in women's tennis. You also have Subosh, Travinsky. People have been part of very good doubles teams. And Pepperdine, they have Chen and Bros at one. But what else do they have at two and three? So that's what makes this really interesting for me. And then the inflection point for that Pepperdine team is Janice Chen at three because she's not lights out there. And guess who Virginia has there? Tasha Subash, who has been a All-American many times in her career. I'm very curious to see the depth here. I think this could very well be a situation where Pepperdine gets off the court pretty quickly at one and two with Zar and Brodus. And that similar to that Michigan match, you've got three through six all going deep and both of these teams had underwhelming indoors last season you had pepperdine look a mess i think they dropped two matches and then you had virginia who had uh julia adams out with sickness so both will be looking to establish themselves at indoors pepperdine in particular always looking for these top ranked wins i'm very curious i like i'll be watching four, five, and six, almost exclusively in this match. I mean, it. I also think doubles is really intriguing because I think they're not going to play. What was the team? Was it Shake and Collard in the fall who played together? No, it was Ziadato and Collard, I want to say, maybe, who played together in the fall. I forget who the Virginia pairing was that was very good in the fall, but they've split them up, right? They go Collard and Chervinsky thus far at the number one spot. And right. I think it's Shake and Subash who have been a two who have been playing really well. 
the doubles point is fascinating to me because I don't know if how Pepperdine loses this match if they take the doubles point. Like again, when, yeah. when they go, like, like that's the issue to me. But if they don't go up one zero, I don't know if they can find four singles victories against the experience, the depth of this Virginia squad. So again, I care more about doubles in this match, maybe more. Uh, than any of the ones we've spoken about thus far because I just think it will be such an important point in establishing the momentum for these teams who, like, again, Virginia up 1-0. Good luck because they're, they're pushing you to at least two, if not three, three setters, if not winning those matches outright down below. Chen and Brodus are the best doubles team. So for that reason, maybe alone, I'd lean Pepperdine because I'm like, well, okay, they've got half there. But, like, Virginia's been really good at doubles, Jay. This is just straight up a great match, as we've alluded to. Great contrast. Which way you lean in? Yeah, you just saw Virginia take number one doubles against Michigan with Kari Miller, Jaden Brown. So And Melody Collard is the Robert Cash of women's college tennis. Well, Elizabeth Scotty is, but... Uh, I get, yeah. I yeah, I get the I get the comparison. But no, it's not I, the I, same. It's I actually think Collard's the better comp. But you're right, it is Scotty yeah. from a resume. Yeah. But like Boy, her, her hands are fantastic. Yeah, and um, I have to lean Pepperdine. I, this is the hardest match for me to call. I think because it's not as clear on the match calculus. But because I do heavily lean Pepperdine at one and two, you just put those points on the board. You have to believe they'll find two more. So I lean Pepperdine, but. I think it could be very close. I'll go 4-2 Pepperdine. It's going to be a really fun match because, again, it's the contrast between how these two rosters are built that's going to make this one so fascinating. Sharing this region, again, if you're a good academic school, uh, you are forced to play in this bottom left. It's Michigan versus Cal. Battle of two of the top public schools we have. I don't know why that's where we decided to frame this one, Jay. But again, blame the travel day. Uh, certainly from a tennis perspective, two teams who both played thrilling matches against Oklahoma. That's the common opponent for Cal. The win 4-3 in kickoff weekend for Michigan. The win 4-3 uh, second weekend of play in the season. Michigan, obviously, the subsequent win over Virginia since. A win over Florida since as well. We just... Haven't seen much from Cal uh, in their time since that Oklahoma win on kickoff weekend. Speaking of groups with urgency, there is a now or never nature for this Michigan roster. It's just worth noting of teams who look at the draw. I think Michigan is probably the most satisfied with how everything shook out because, again, it's a lot of familiar faces. They've played this Cal nucleus of El Sola, Weirsholm, Villermolder. They've played Pepperdine. They've played Virginia. They know the teams in their section. And if they get through that, then you get the one everyone wants. You get the shot at North Carolina, which in the end is really what we're all playing for at this point. Like I actually think Michigan is probably, again, the happiest team with how the draws all shook out, Jay, uh, in the non-North Carolina division because they don't get to be happy. You're just North Carolina. It's going to be what it's going to be. But look for a Cal squad to be back at this national indoors after the disaster of being upset by San Diego last year. It's been two and a half years with this nucleus. I still don't know how good they are. Like, I'm fascinated by this match, Jay. An excellent litmus test to see how real is this Cal early season success. What's it going to take for the Bears to pull off the upset here? Well, just to add to what you talked about with Michigan liking their draw, they also have two teams in Cal and Pepperdine that don't play a lot of indoor tennis. So that will certainly be advantageous to Michigan. The Cal side of this equation is very interesting because we really only saw them in that Oklahoma match. 
I think their depth is going to be something to watch here. I think they look really solid against Oklahoma with, uh, they had Lon Mee play there at six. They had Mal Mashuka down there in the bottom half of the lineup. You have Valentina Ivanov, who's a fifth year for Cal with that experience. That's where they will probably be looking because I think it's going to be very tough for them to get wins at one or two with Alsola or Villar Muller. And yeah, maybe doubles as well. They kind of tore through Oklahoma in doubles, which was a massive surprise. So if they're that good in doubles, again, we just have such a small sample size, then they're going to be looking for doubles and some of the bottom half of the lineup, just because I think on the Michigan side, Kari Miller has looked so fantastic. I think she'll be too solid for Alsola if she's at one. And I think Julia Fliegener can just hit through uh, Hannah Miller Muller, who I think will be struggling a little bit indoors. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what the Cal lineup even looks like. Like, yeah. I, do we know what what their four, five, six are going to be? Are we going to get uh, Lee Ma? Uh, uh, excuse me, Lon Me. Lon Me. Thank you. I almost said Milan there. Lon Me. Thank you. Um, like uh, after what she's we saw from her in uh in Norman, like how does she not get back out on the court with that energy, with that tenacity to pull through in that moment? And by the way, getting the chance to watch her in person, I hope she is in the lineup because that will be a fascinating ex- experience at the Nordstrom Tennis Center at 9 a.m., Jay, to kick off our day. Um, <laughs> well, it'll certainly kick off our day. So that's we'll what I'm be- saying. No coffee necessary if she's yep. in a singles lineup. We'll all be awake by that 1130 hour. Um yeah, look, Michigan should win this match. Like, it's a match they almost have to win to be who they want to be here this season. But, again, I don't know how good Cal— I just, like, this team, with everything they've gone through the last three years, you never know what you're going to get on any given day. Like, again, this team might be exceptional. This team might end up in the semifinals, for all we know, with the talent they possess. Um, I need to see it to believe it. You, I believe you gave us our, your prediction, right? You said Michigan for I go, I go four two. Yeah, I, I feel think, like there's yeah. some sneaky wins in yeah. here from Cal. I also think it's worth noting if Florencia Ruscia doesn't roll her ankle in that Oklahoma match, I really think Oklahoma was going to come back and win it because I know they had dropped the doubles, but flow was dare I say flowing in the right direction, mm-hmm. and you know Shisherbina had flipped things, Staker had taken the first set, all these different things, and when Arusha had a default due to injury, you could just kind of feel the balloon pop in that Oklahoma tennis center. So again. I need to see Cal do it from start to finish without some sort of massive extenuating circumstance to believe it. I, too, uh, think Michigan has to be the favorite entering it. But again, Cal is as fascinating as a team as any as we look towards the round of 16. All right. This will be the region we go through most quickly. Uh it's the Carolina region. We'll start with the top seeds, UNC. Just a reminder, I think they should have a plaque in the Tennis Hall of Fame. Since 2015, there have been nine women's national indoor events. UNC's made the final of all nine of them. Jay, they've won six titles during that stretch, 33-3 and three overall. I have been calling this event since 2020. I've never seen them lose at the national indoors. By the way... It's the same group. Like, Scotty was there in, in year number one. Here she is once again. It's the last go-around for the crew. And, yeah, you win five straight national indoor championships. Like, who cares? I, like, 
at some point we need to make a conversion rate. How many national indoor championships equals one NCAA title if your program already has that first NCAA title? We can have that discussion a different time. But look, I'll tell you what, name brand wise, colors wise, aesthetics wise, Jay, UNC versus USC, sign me up for that every day of the week. Uh, Obviously, it's a fascinating USC roster. Like, again, talk about talent top to bottom with Han, Cayetano, Chung, Grace Piper, Parker Fry, Lily Faircloth. Like, there's real no talent. No Charney? Emma uh, Charney, excuse me. There is real, by the way, I almost screwed it up there, got it in. There's talent everywhere uh, on this USC team. And I think they've got like four or five ranked singles players as well to speak to that fact. They just take on the buzzsaw. What's it going to take? A USC upset looks like what, Jay? Well, it starts with a win with Aaron Cayetano at five. Yeah. You know, having her at five is a luxury. I think it should be Cayetano versus Forbes at five just for the sake of like the posterity. There would just be like some sort of beauty to that. Yeah, the USC UCLA five years later. Back. I'll never forget watching that 2020 UCLA team again and being like, "Oh, Bolton, Forbes, and Hart." Like, okay, it's gonna be them versus UNC in the final. Perfect. Yeah, a final we never saw. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and but, never have to discuss anymore because no asterisk needed. Yeah, so it starts with Cayetano at five because I think that they should feel like she she can win at five against anyone. That's where it starts. Okay. And <laughs> um, that's where it finishes. <laughs> you know, who will be at three for them? Um, Chung, maybe? Is it Chung? Is and it so Naomi? They, they've, been, they've been mixing up uh, Snow Han and Charney at one and two. Yeah. And then... Yeah, and they've got Piper at I think four. it is Chung. I yeah, think it's so Chung. It's Chung. Yeah, because Haddad would never play higher than no, five yeah, or six. So yeah, I, it's Chung. I would go – then you go to Chung over whoever UNC has at three, likely Tangillig, who has been very good indoors. Um, <laughs> Yara Legata? Oh, indoors? Yeah, it's, well, it's going to say you're going to have a freshman there at six, so that's going to be really tough for USC. Are we sure Yara Legata is playing six? No. Yeah, <laughs> but, but USC will have a freshman at six, right? Yeah. So that's going to be a tough place to win, and a Herculean effort from Emma Charney at two. Look, the the calculus is very tough for yeah. USC. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But look, that's why you play this event to face North Carolina, particularly for this USC team who will be bringing in some freshmen. You get a look at what the best in the country looks at. And then you, to your point earlier, you still get two fantastic matches after. So I do not think USC really has a path in this match, but they have a path in this tournament. The thing you like most if you're USC is that all these young players on your roster get a look at the Tar Heels. Match number one. It's okay. This is what we're chasing all year. Exactly. Like you guys, I get we're talented and we had a really fun weekend in Knoxville and obviously lose a heartbreaker to San Diego last week. But it's like none of that actually matters because that's one level. This is the level of national champion and that's what our goal is moving forward. And so, again, I think it's a good look for the Trojans. I agree. UNC is just UNC. And again, I need to see them actually lose at this event before I could ever believe it happens. Last but not least, I like this matchup. NC State versus Washington. Now, again, why do I like this one in particular? Let's be clear. Where wasn't NC State last year? They weren't at the National Indoors. That shocking, obviously, kickoff weekend loss to Vanderbilt pre-Lady Die arriving on campus. 
I also like the fact that new pieces for this NC State squad are going to get the chance to play on the road against a Washington crowd that we know always bring it uh, when the Huskies play the night match here at the National Indoors. And, you know, again, talent-wise, of course, you're going to lean NC State and you know, for them to go get a really tough road win in Knoxville last weekend against Tennessee, good for this group to get calloused up uh, before they headed to this national indoor championship. But again, for players like a Zeranova, for players like a Zimpardo, for players like a Broadfoot in doubles, like it's a new experience for them uh, here at this national indoors. Jay, thoughts on this match? What intrigues you most? I think this match absolutely gets yeah. funky. And we see that often, particularly with Washington here with those late night matches, both on the men's side and on the women's side for these, you know, Friday night, 6.30 p.m. matches. And to your point, there's a lot of new faces here for NC State who have never been in this position. And there's a lot of continuity with this Washington team, whether it's Astrid Olsen, Melissa Sekar, who's playing four, Sarah Maud Fortin, uh, Erica Matsuda, like they have experience on this team so i think this does get pretty tricky like i could absolutely see washington sneaking out of dubs point sneaking out a few first sets i think eventually nc state pulls off a win here but i would go like four two i think I, uh washington puts a few points on the board who'd they play first last year i don't remember who it was i remember the vanderbilt match because that match was epic that match had all the drama that match had all the energy but I was it Texas maybe? I think they played Texas first last year and it was like a really competitive match. Like all of a sudden it was like I don't remember if it was Uvrutsky or Zainalova or Pashkaleva, but like someone was in a third like there were like two, three two or three third set matches going. I think Texas was up like three one, but it was like, wait a second. It is not like a sure thing three one. Like this is now all of a sudden a match. And I believe Texas ended up closing things out, Jay. But if my memory serves me correct, like it was a similar like, hey, Texas, obviously, you're Texas. You're the two-time defending national Yeah, they were the one seed. Yeah, you're going to overlook it the way. I don't think Simon would ever let his team, uh, this group in particular, with all the new faces, overlook someone like Washington. Um, But it reminds me of that match where it's like, hey, like you may see on paper a talent deficit, but just don't count out Washington at home. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why they shouldn't compete at the Seattle Tennis Club ever, Jay. Uh, No, just that's what we call a call. No, and for first round matches, absolutely. The moment you lose, yank them over to STC. (laughs) Or make them play the 9 a.m. And just make it whatever it is. No, I mean, again, we'll save those issues for the rest. What do you want to see from NC State, Jay? Anything particular that you'd like to see from them this first match? Well, starts with doubles. I mean, they yeah. lose doubles against that's, Texas. That's exactly you know? what they took the answer out of my mouth. Yeah. So it yeah. starts there. Mm-hmm. And again, freshman, how do you perform first national indoor event? That's something for us to look for. But to recap, that's all round of 16 matches, folks, for Friday's day one of these team national indoor championships. Jay, I'm going to give you one last chance to update all of your predictions here. We'll go through them one more time. Just straight prediction. Oklahoma State, Auburn. Oklahoma State. Texas, Texas A&M. Texas. Georgia, Ohio State. Ohio State. This is my one upset. I like it. Stanford, Florida. Stanford. Pepperdine, Virginia. Pepperdine. That one's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. Michigan, Cal. Michigan. Equally tricky. UNC, USC. That one wasn't as tricky. UNC wins this one. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Give me the team that ends with a C. Uh, Washington, NC State. 
NC State. Yeah, there it is, folks. That's your round of 16. Now, of course, we will be back to recap all of these matches after day number one. We'll be back to preview the quarterfinals as well. But before we do, John J. Parsons, you look like you have some final thoughts for all the fans. Well, I know you're not in the prediction business here, but why not be in the line betting business? And so I'm curious, what is the over-under on UNC points lost? See, now we're talking. See, now we're in something I feel comfortable answering. Well, first of all, UNC enters the event minus 500 favorites. Like, they would have that benefit of the doubt. You would have to put up some serious juice to try and get them uh, on the non-end because they've earned that benefit of the doubt. Minus 500 is too high, but minus 250. You probably have to bet $2.50 to win one back. Um, That's a great question, Jay. Four matches because they're making the final. Um Four and a half. I'll take the under. Under four and a half points lost. Because if they get a four two in there. Four and a half. Yeah. You got two and a half, two left to play with. Yeah, that's the problem. All right. What if I said three and a half? I take the under. Oh, John J. Parsons gives us a little bit of juice here to wrap up what is always one of my favorite shows to do. Again, round of 16 at the National Indoors coming up. We got a lot of good matches across the board, and thus we are so thrilled to be able to cover them all on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You'll have coverage first ball to last starting Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Of course, it will be myself, Perry Shine, and Daniel Westoff steering the ship. A shout-out, as always, to Westoff for the of editing job he does day in, day out, making all of that content possible. Jay, you will be on site as well. And so this is our disclaimer to all of the listeners. Come say hello. I'm going to be broadcasting, so I'm going to be a little bit less available. But go bother Jay instead. I know he would certainly enjoy getting, always enjoys getting the chance to interact with all of you tennis fans. And remember, if you're angry with something we've said, those comments go to Jay. If you like what we've said, come find me. I'll stop the broadcast to take a compliment. Always with that said, Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap tonight's show? No, I'm looking forward to it. Huge plus one to that. It's always great to chat with people and hear thoughts, feedback, and comments. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, then with all of that said, folks, that is your look at the round of 16 of the Division One Women's Team National Indoor Championships for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all on Friday. Thanks, everyone.